0: Jesus walks on water. Miracle number five. You can't choose the timing or frequency of storms in your life, but you can choose to respond in faith to the God who rescues. That's kind of the big idea of this thing. I, like to, I always like to just give it away right there at the beginning. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to pounce on you and sneak up on you. And by 30 minutes from now, you're like, oh, wow, that was all. The... No, I'm just going to tell you right now, that's what we're talking about. You know the story. Jesus walks on water. It has to do with a storm. We're going to apply it to your life that everyone has storms in your life. You can start thinking about that right now. I'll share some of the storms in my life because I'm the one up here with the microphone. But when you have this conversation at home or in a small group or in a discipleship relationship, that's where you can share about the storms in your life. And that's where you can start unpacking how this might relate to you. So some of you are facing a storm right now, and we're going to read that in the Gospel of John, and it's going to be in John chapter 6, so you're welcome to start turning there, but we're going to, before we go there, we've got to give this a little bit of context, and we need to talk about water miracles, because I want you to understand something, and you, you probably many of you know this, that water miracles were front and center in the Jewish faith. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, water miracles were a thing in the Jewish faith. And so when Jesus walked on water, he proved again that he's that God, that he's the God who rescues. When Jesus, we haven't even read it yet, but spoiler alert, Jesus is going to walk on water. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yeah. Some of you are like, I never knew that. That is really cool. I can't wait to read that story. But Jesus is going to walk on water. And I know we've probably all heard it a million times, but I want you to know, I want you to think about the context of this for the Jewish disciples. They grew up knowing, hearing stories of water miracles. They grew up reading the Psalms. Their worship songs were Psalms. And so many of the Psalms recounted the story of God in his faithfulness, God's proving himself as a rescuing God and using water to do it. Now, I bet you so many of you could probably stand up here and explain what I mean by that. Because you, you, know, many of you know the word, but let's look at it together. Moses, when, when Moses parted the Red Sea, before he even did all that, Exodus chapter three, verse seven, says this. The Lord told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. So this is, Moses, this is God speaking to Moses from the burning bush. You know, remember that story? Moses was raised in Egypt and, and then he killed a guy. And so he had to flee and he's out there and he's, just, he's in retirement and God's pulling him out of retirement. God says, look, look, you're over here just relaxing, but I actually have a job for you to do. And that job is to go back to my people and you are going to, you are going to help me rescue them. And I want, I want you to look at that word rescue. Remember, that's kind of a theme here. God is a rescuing God. God is a rescuing God. Another word for that is salvation. God is a God who saves. So here, here God is coming to Moses saying, I want you to do this. I want you to go and rescue them. So you know the story. He goes back, he, he rescues him. By the way, I love it. I love that, that the first miracle of Moses is to turn water into blood which represents the judgment of God. And you know what the first miracle of Jesus was in John chapter two? And this is, this is lesson number one in this series, if you want to do this. The first miracle of Jesus was to turn water into wine. And wine, Psalms, the psalmists say wine represents joy. Wine represents joy. Water represents blood. Moses' first miracle revealed something about God's nature, which is that he is a God who can judge. But when Jesus came, he wanted to reveal something else about God's nature, which is that he is a God who brings joy, which is just what John 10.10 says when Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, which is just what John 20 says when John says, the reason I've picked these seven miracles is because I want you to believe in the God who rescues and that by believing you might have life. Another word for life is joy. Young people, God wants you to have a life full of joy. You should be the envy of your schools because you're followers of Jesus. Now I know from a certain perspective, everybody's looking at it and you're thinking, no, they're the ones having all the fun. No, trust me. Just give it a little time. When you follow God, he rescues you. Psalm 77 verse 19, it says this. I said the Psalms were the songs that the people of Israel sang your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there, right? Because what what they're talking about, what the psalmist is talking about there is when Moses takes the the people of Israel and they start heading out to the promised land and oops, someone put a sea in the way, right? (laughs) But that, that was the first water miracle. Then God parted the sea, they walked through, as soon as they got through, then the the Egyptians followed them through and and the sea crashes in over them and they all drown. And you go read the Psalms and they sang about that all the time, all the time. One of the questions this week in your discussion, if you're gonna disciple someone with this topic, question one is share a miracle story that your family will or does pass down for generations. That's a great thing to talk about, parents. That's what the Israelites did. They talked all the time about the God who rescues. They shared these stories and they passed these stories on. Now, we hope every generation has their own stories, but it's still helpful for you to share about the stories in your generation. God did this. Here's what God did here. Here's what God always works. He's a rescuing God. It's what he loves to do. And that's that's the first water miracle. Now, another water miracle was, of course, the crossing of the Jordan River. And you find this in Joshua 3.7. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. And so this, again, if you want, it, just a quick little history lesson. So that the Israelites through Moses go through the first water miracle. They go through the Red Sea. They, get, they wander in the desert for 40 years because Moses is a guy, right? He's too proud to ask for directions. <laughs> 40 years in the desert, right? Same old, same old. And finally, they get to the edge of the promised land, but there's a river there, the Jordan River. And once again, this is no coincidence, once again, God is going to perform a water miracle to show that he's a rescuing God. And so the water miracle was, he says, hey, I'm going to show, he says this, I'm going I'm to show the people. I'm, I want you to pay attention. I want the people I want your generation, Joshua, which was the next generation, I want your generation to know that I am with you like I was with Moses. Yeah. So the water miracle is, some, is something that proves the identity of the, of the, of the leader. So it was, it was proving Moses' identity as a leader. Now it's proving Joshua's identity as a leader. So of course, if you don't know the story. Here it is real quick. Verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went out ahead of them. It was harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. Water miracle number two. Very similar actually to water miracle number one, just kind of like on a little smaller scale, not a sea, a river. But you know it called to mind for the Israelites the story that they had heard from their parents. They're like, oh, this sounds familiar. God is with us too. God, God wasn't just with our parents. God is with us. This is awesome, right? So, so here's the point for today. Because remember, this is just the context for the miracle we haven't even read yet in John chapter six, another water miracle. And here's the point. God is never surprised when storms break out in your life. He sees your struggle and he has the power to act when he wants. That's what we're going to see here in the John 6 water miracle. And there are more water miracles in the Old Testament, but we only have time for a couple. And so John 6, we're ready to read it. John 6, starting in verse 16. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. This was after he fed the 5,000, miracle number four. So he feeds the 5,000. Jesus goes away to pray. And he sends his disciples down to the shore. But verse 17, as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. And soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. Here's, here's where it kind of serves as a metaphor for our lives. So this is a great point to talk about parents with your kids, young people with people you're discipling. My, my son is 17 years old. He's been discipling since he was 14. So he, he, this is the kind of topic he would sit down and talk with his, his student group. And he would say, hey, what, st- what storms? Does it, can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? What storms are you facing in your life? Question number two in your discussion questions: Should you use this to make disciples instead of just hearing a sermon? Question two: Share about a recent storm you've experienced. Whom did you turn to for help? Because it's easy to it's easy to say, "Oh, I I turn to my parents, or I turn, you know, my principal, or my teacher, or a friend, or my friend group, or whatever." The truth is that following Jesus is not a storm-free guarantee. It's actually the opposite. Some people are out there preaching that come follow Jesus, he'll make you healthy and wealthy. That, that's not in the Bible. That's right. I think the disciples would, would like scoff at that. Like, are you serious? <laughs> Do you know our story? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Following Jesus is the opposite of a storm-free guarantee. He doesn't, he doesn't, God doesn't guarantee that you will not face a storm. On the, on the contrary, he guarantees that you will face a storm. But what he says is, I'll be with you in the storm. That's the difference. Amen. So you can trust in him. And by the way, you might feel like God's not watching. Sometimes in your storm, I've been through some storms in my life that I've questioned, is God watching? Is he even paying attention? Doesn't he love me? Like I'm one of the good guys. I was diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago. And um, I didn't die. Some of you look concerned. <laughs> It turned out okay. It was good. It turns out it wasn't cancer. They misdiagnosed me. It was a blessing God gave me that for three weeks, my wife and I thought I had cancer. The doctor said, this thing's eating away the bones in your body. That's not like a good diagnosis. And he showed us proof. He showed us proof of it with the scans. So for three weeks, we were like just (laughs) lump in our throat. But... At the end of the day, it wasn't wasn't that. The doctor misdiagnosed it. But we we had to walk, we had to kind of pretend walk through a storm. And many of you in here don't don't just pretend that. You've had to for real walk through that storm. Some of you might for real be walking through that storm right now. That's hard. It was hard. And I, I wrestled with God for those three weeks. I'm like, God, I don't get it. I would look out the window at the hospital, and I would see people just going about their business. I'm like, I want to be those people. I just want to be going about my business. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this place. But God allowed me to experience that. And he taught me through that, like, I'm God, you're not. You need to depend on me. It's easy to depend on God when things are great. It's easy to worship God when things are great. But when things are hard, that's, I think, that's where our our faith gets tested. I love the Mark account, you know, John, this is, we're looking at this in John six, but the same story is, is recounted by Mark in Mark chapter six. And he adds a little more context. He says this in verse 48, Jesus saw, he was up there praying on the shore. The disciples were on the sea. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And I want you to notice two things about it in this part in Mark's account. Number one, Jesus was watching them in their struggle. They didn't know it. They had no idea he was watching. They didn't know where he was. They were waiting on shore and he never showed up, so they finally just got in the boat and went. They had no idea where he was. And you know where he was? He was on shore watching them. So some of you are like, I don't know if God's even watching. Trust me, God's watching. He's paying, it, he might be, number two, He might not act right away, which he didn't, because look, it says then about three in the morning, he finally goes out there. We don't really know when he started watching, but it might've been 11 o'clock, midnight, one in the morning. So he waits for two or three or four, who knows how long he waits. He watches them struggle. He watches them. He knows that they've got full of of fear and anxiety, but he doesn't act right away. And God still works like that. He still does that. Again, a great thing to talk about with someone in your own life if you're facing a storm. But I want you to know this. Jesus is watching. He's not unaware. He might not be acting right now at the moment, but he has the power to act in his time, on his timeline, not on your timeline. He did it in the Red Sea. The Israelites were in bondage for 400 years before that water miracle. He did it. For the Jordan River, the people of Israel were wandering in the desert for 40 years before that water miracle, and he did it right here. It might have been four hours before Jesus finally stepped out onto the water. And here's the point this is what we're driving to. The name of Jesus brings peace or dread, depending on your perspective. It's your personal response that makes all the difference. So in this story, so see what happens in this story, John 6, 19. It says this, I want you to see this. They had rowed for three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, and it says this, they were terrified. The Mark account actually gives us more detail again. The reason they were terrified is they thought he was a ghost. So the the disciples believed in ghosts, and they were freaked out. When he, when he came. But look at, look at what it says. I, I love, this is so rich. This is so good. He says this. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I, I want you to see, in, in my Bible, there's a, note, there's a little note on that, on verse 20. I don't know if your Bibles have this, but verse, verse 20, it says this. Another translation, what the disciples might have heard right here, is the I am is here. Wow. That's, that's probably what they heard. The I am is here. Now you say, well, I mean, you probably know this, but you know where that comes from. It comes from, let's go back to Exodus 3, verse 14. Right after, right after this, we're back to the first, verse, first scripture we looked at. You know, Moses is being called. He's talking to God in the burning bush. And God says, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to send you back to rescue the people, water miracle to, to, to be coming soon. And, and Moses is like, okay, cool, but whatever. I don't think you got the right guy, but, if you, but okay, what am I supposed to say to them? Who do, who do I, what's your name? I don't, know, I don't even know your name. Your people don't even know your name. How, Pharaoh doesn't know your name. What do I say? Who, what do you call yourself? And of course, God replies to Moses, I am who I am which is a whole nother sermon. It's just like God is, he was, he's self-existent, he's self-determined, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need, he, he doesn't need anyone to complete him. That's right. He is just, he is eternally the same, yesterday, today, forever. He is, self, he is self-contained, self-existent, he needs nothing. Even though he created us, he didn't need to create us, he didn't do it because he was lonely. He is just, he is God Solid and movable God, I, that's who I am, that's my name. I am who I am. Say to this Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you." And here, Jesus is using that same word when the disciples are freaking out on the boat in the storm in their life, and Jesus says, "I am here." In other words, let my presence bring you peace. And what I love about it in that passage is it brought them peace. When Jesus said, I am, it brought them peace. They were like, oh, whew. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Later in John, Jesus uses that word again. By the way, he uses it two more times in John, John eight fifty eight. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. He uses it again. And the, the Pharisees wanted to stone him for it because they knew exactly what he meant. And another time, later on, when he's in the garden, do you know he uses that word, that phrase one more time? And the soldiers come, and they say, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I am. He, and they fell back in fear. So it's up to you how you're going to respond to the real Jesus when he shows up in your life. When he says, I am here, I am here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll say, oh, thank you. Thank you. If, you. if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you'll respond in dread because the Jesus who wants to bring you joy will bring you judgment if you don't turn to him in faith. And that's kind of the point really of this whole story. Jesus was trying to bring peace to his people, but all of these miracles are so that we may believe in the right Jesus, in the real Jesus, the rescue in Jesus, the one who saves us. And I want to end With a couple passages, again, from the Old Testament on this, as you think about your response to this Jesus, to this Savior, Job 9, 8, I love this, he alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. And I know that when Job wrote that, he had no idea that in John 6, Jesus would walk on the water. But here we are reading it saying, oh, wow, God knew the beginning from the end. He prophesied that he would march on the waves of the sea. And then I love this from Proverbs 34 Who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fists? He used the wind in those water miracles. Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? I love this part. What is his name? And his son's name. Tell me if you know, the author writes. We know, guys. And the disciples knew. Because when they saw this water miracle, they're like, huh. This sounds familiar. Wait, this is, this is God. Because the truth is, the disciples didn't have perfect faith. When they saw miracle number one, they're like, oh, you can turn water into wine. (laughs) And then miracle number two, oh, you can do that. And miracle number, oh, you can do that. And miracle number four, oh, you can feed the 5,000. That's weird. You can speak things into existence. You can speak food into existence. That's interesting. Oh, and you can walk on water. What does that remind me of? And with every miracle they saw, with new eyes, that Jesus is the rescuing God, the God who parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the God who walks on the water. And his name is Jesus. The great I am is Jesus. The God of the Old Testament is Jesus. And if you would believe in Jesus, then you will be rescued. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see the Jesus of the Bible in our world today. It's not enough to see the Jesus of the Old Testament in the New Testament. That's good, but that falls short because the I am is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that means that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God of today. And Lord, I know there are people here that are going through storms, There are people here who desperately need to be rescued. And some people, many people maybe in this room, that might be a spiritual statement, but some people in here just need to be rescued from something else, an illness, a relationship, financial issues, whatever. And you don't promise to rescue us from those things, but you do promise to get in the boat with us and to be with us and to bring us peace in the midst of whatever storm we're facing. But God, I pray in particular for the person who's here who doesn't know you as their Savior and as their Lord. And I pray that that those men or women or young people today would hear you calling out to them and that they would put their faith in you just like your disciples did. God, that we would look at these stories from the Old and New Testaments, and God, we would say that God is still on the throne, and that God I want on the throne of my life. And I pray, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself in a fresh new way to everyone in this room, in Jesus' name, amen.